Lord, we pray now that the power of Christ would rest upon us when we are weak and when we are suffering. We pray that this Lent, uh, our hearts would be bound to yours even more closely and that we would tangibly know you, Lord, uh, both in your suffering as well as in your resurrection power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please have a seat and good morning, good to see you. We are in a series called Growing Up Sacramental and it's an invitation to grow up in Christ um, by receiving the visible signs of his invisible love. We're looking at just how in each stage of life, from birth to death, um, both Christians as well as the church um, can, uh, can receive Jesus' tangible gifts to help us grow up into his likeness. We've used this aid, this, this present, uh, throughout the series as a, a bit of a, a visual to help us understand that the sacraments baptism and the Lord's Supper, are a visible sign of God's invisible love and grace, not just for our eyes, but also something that we can tangibly participate in and own for ourselves. We open it like we would open a gift, and we say, yes, this is mine. As we receive these gifts, we grow up in Christ. So what about suffering? Could suffering take on a sacramental quality? Suffering is not a sacrament. We don't teach that here. But could suffering draw us closer to Jesus? Socrates said that suffering is either wanting what you don't get, on the one hand, or getting what you don't want, on the other hand. Wanting what you don't get or getting what you don't want. And that includes a lot of terrible and sad things. Um, apart from Christ, apart from his death and resurrection, suffering has the potential only to harm you and I. And how could that ever be a gift? How could harm be a gift, let alone a sign of Christ's power? Philip Yancey called suffering the gift nobody wants. The gift nobody wants. Like, no thanks, Lord. I really don't want to pick that up. I don't want to pick up your gift of suffering. I don't want to receive it. I'll take any other gift that you have. I'll take the gift of the church. I'll take the gift of the scriptures. I'll take the gift of the sacraments. I'll take the gift of the catechism for goodness sakes, but don't give me the gift of suffering. In our text today, the apostle Paul says, I'll take it. I'm content with it, with weaknesses. Go ahead and give them to me. Insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. How could he, how could he receive the gift of suffering? And how could we? The Apostle Paul knew firsthand that his suffering, what he got that he didn't want, what he didn't get that he did want, can become a tangible way to participate in the power of Christ. There are depths of knowing Christ that Paul knew that he would not have otherwise known if he had not suffered as greatly as he did. Depths and mysteries and treasures of Christ that he discovered only by passing through the valley of suffering, only by receiving the gift of it. The sacramental life 
binds our suffering to Christ's heart for the suffering. And so we're going to look at Paul's testimony about this and consider how we ourselves can open this gift. We're going to look at it from two angles. Paul wanting what he didn't get and Paul getting what he didn't want. So let's look at the first one. Paul wanting what he didn't get. And we can think about ourselves as well in 2 Corinthians 12. Go ahead and turn there. Looking at the first six verses. How would you fill in the blank? If only I had blank, I would feel relieved and happy. If only I had blank, I would feel relieved and happy and elated. How would you fill in the blank? If only I had the Pfizer vaccine, specifically the Pfizer vaccine and both doses. If only I had a chance to travel somewhere warm and exotic, like Wisconsin, I would feel relieved and happy. Or what if, I, if only I had a chance to make art in community with other artists again, I would feel relieved and happy. Or what about community beyond my bubble, beyond Zoom, community apart from a screen? Wouldn't that be so amazing? How about this one? If only I had a rich experience of God to make up for all of the pain of the last year and all I've lost in the last year. If only I, I was taken up out of my suffering and was deeply consoled in the love of God, then I would be content and happy. Have you ever pined for that? Especially this year. Especially when our experience of church, our experience of Jesus, our experience of God is like not what it used to be. And so we just say, Lord, if only I had spiritual consolation, if only I was baptized in it, if only I had the Holy Spirit like never before, then I would feel content and happy. In their own way, this is also what the Corinthian church pined for and longed for. You know, it's worth saying that they had a harder life than we do, even with COVID. They had more plagues than we do. They had a shorter life expectancy than we do. They had less comforts than we do. And they wanted to get away from it all. They wanted to go up to heaven. They wanted powerful experiences of the Holy Spirit. Mystical experiences of grace and profound revelations of God. They thought, they thought that if they could like extend their conversion experience and, and like experience it again and again, but in different ways, it would propel them into levels of spiritual maturity away from their workaday prayer life, away from the messiness and the fleshiness of human existence. And they were looking for travel guides in this. They were looking for teachers who have been to these high spiritual places of glory, places out-of-body experiences of revelation so that they could be like, hey, tell us how you did it. How do you get there? What's the secret portal to grace, glory, heaven? The Corinthians said to Paul, we'll trust you and follow you if you'll tell us. Tell us about your spiritual experiences. Tell us about glory. And they pressed him on this. 
They listened to rivals of Paul who, who promised that. So here's what Paul says in response. After being pressed by them, he says in verse 1, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Paul says, I've had an experience that I've never told you about. I'll tell you because you think you need it. You think leaders need this to have credibility. So I'll go ahead and quote, boast about it. He says that ironically. I'll go ahead and boast about it so we can just move past this. Verse 2, I know a man in Christ. He's talking about himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. 14 years before he wrote what we call 2 Corinthians, Paul was a new Christian, newly converted. He was in a three-year season of training and discipleship to prepare his mind and his soul and his skills for ministry. And as he speaks of himself in the third person, a man in Christ, he talks about being snatched up, caught up uh, by God's pure initiative into heaven. And it was so tangible and real, he doesn't know if he was in the body or out of the body. Now, third heaven is likely a reference to the highest you could go. Um, The literal presence of God into paradise itself before God's throne room and God's holy council. Verse 3 says, I know this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Verse 4, and he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Now, Paul received many things from God that he never shied away from saying publicly, boldly. Foremost of that was the gospel of Jesus. He says, I'm not ashamed of this. It's the wisdom of God. Yet in heaven, he heard things that are unspeakable, and he dared not say it to anybody. Now, sometimes secrets can make us feel quite special, right? Someone shares a secret with you. Please don't share this with anyone. We can even imagine Barack Obama pulling up next to you on the street in his car, summoning you into his vehicle and and looking at you in the eye and saying, like, there were things that happened to me in the White House that I can't share with anybody, but I'm going to share them with you. Things in the situation room that went down. I trust you, but you can't share this on Instagram. You can't share this on Twitter. Don't tell any of your friends. The Lord God snatched Paul of his own initiative into God's holy counsel, and he shared with him a reality that humans are expressly forbidden to speak about. God shared things with Paul he didn't want any of us to know about. And how special would that be? Yet Paul holds back on sharing for a very specific reason. Verse 5, on behalf of this man I will boast, But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it. Why? So that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul's really concerned about this. I'm sharing this heavenly rapture experience with you, just mentioning it, 
because you're pressing me, but listen, I'm concerned that if I talk too much about it, you're gonna put me on a pedestal because of that experience, and that would not be good. The Corinthians might think, wow, like Paul was snatched up to heaven. <gasps> we should follow him now. We should listen to him now. God must really love him more than he loves us. We should want that experience. And you know what? It's a temptation for us too. It's still a temptation for those of us who follow Jesus or even for those of us who just are spiritual people who long for spiritual experiences. We can look at someone who has had a conversion experience or an encounter with the Holy Spirit, or a revelation from God, or a dream from heaven, and think, God must really trust them in a way he doesn't trust me. God must really love them in a way he doesn't love me. I haven't had that experience in a long time or ever. Maybe God doesn't love me as much. Or maybe I'm missing out on the fullness of the power of Christ. Maybe I'm missing out on the grace of Jesus. You know, especially when we consider the dark night of the soul from this last year, the spiritual valley that many of us have walked through, the spiritual valley that our church has walked through in the last year, how flat sometimes it's felt in prayer or in worship. You know, if joining from home, boy, not being in the room, it makes a big difference, doesn't it? And you think about week after week, we're coming up on the one-year, today's the one-year anniversary of our last worship service at Uplift High School. One year was our last worship service there. And boy, has it been a trial. Boy, has it been hard. I haven't heard about too many mystical experiences out there, but I've heard a lot about workaday prayer life that feels like drudgery feeling distant from the church, distant from faith, distant from Christ. And there's a danger in that. Suffering can be for us like an anti-sacrament, can't it? It can be for us, we can interpret it as a visible sign of God's invisible displeasure with us. Or maybe he's bored with us. Or maybe he's moved on to some other part of the world we can get offended with God that he hasn't given us what he's given to someone else. All of us are tempted to envy in this way. And when that happens, here's, here's one thing that we can do to not lose track of God's love for us. We can remember the stories of godly people not getting what they wanted. Really godly people not getting what they wanted. You know, Paul himself, one of his chief prayer requests of God, was that there would be a move of God among his Jewish contemporaries, and that the gospel would take root, and he never saw that in his lifetime. He saw it here and there, but never like he prayed for. Jesus, the Son of God himself, our Savior, our Lord, he prayed for a miracle in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if there's any other way, any other cup, is there any way around the cross? But he didn't get his miracle. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews shares with us what he calls the hall of fame, like the faith hall of fame for heroes in the faith. And he gives us lots of examples of people not getting what they wanted. Those who were sawn in two, tortured, stoned, who went about in skins of sheep, 
and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, and not receiving what was promised in their lifetime. Mother Teresa, more contemporary example, wanted so much for God to reveal his love in the, like when she became world famous and when she was more so than that, like caring for the poor of Calcutta year after year and leading a whole mission in this. Much of her experience of God was the dark night of the soul. And she cried out to God for more of his love. And what she felt like for a season was just, just nothing, just nothing. A lot of godly people filled with the Holy Spirit didn't get that spiritual experience that they longed for. And what did Paul do when he didn't get what he wanted? Well, he received what God would give him. He received God's abundance. He came to God with empty hands. He came to God with a broken heart, and that's what he brought with him to worship that was precious to Jesus. He, he brought it to the altar, and he says in his um, uh, letter to the Roman church, he said, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. And he said that in context of what he didn't get. The unanswered prayers. From him and through him and to him are all things. The sacramental life is often coming to the table of Jesus with empty hands and a broken heart. When we didn't get what we wanted, we, our, our hands are empty of what we wanted. And we bring that to Jesus and we say, I can't do anything with this. Literally, it's a nothing. It's a lack. Please, Jesus, sanctify the lack. Sanctify the dark night of the soul. This, this is my prayer, Jesus. You went through this. You can set this apart. You can draw near to me. Your grace is sufficient. Jesus will gladly receive that spiritual act of worship. Empty hands, a broken heart, those are precious things to him. Suffering is sometimes just not getting what we want. It's also getting what we don't want, right? Sometimes we just get what we don't want. And sometime after Paul's trip to heaven, he received something that he didn't want at all. Verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Now the word messenger here is often what we translate in other parts of scripture as angel. Angel. Um, and angels are messengers. There are other things also. They're often a three-dimensional message from wherever they're coming from. In this case, the angel, it's a bent angel. It's a dark angel. It's a demon. It's from Satan with an intent to harass. Um, this is an unusually strong word. means you can translate it to pummel or beat up. Um, have you ever been beat up? It's a terrible experience. I'm sorry if you've ever had to go through that. Ever been beat up, punched, kicked, thrown to the ground, assaulted? Maybe you haven't been physically beat up, 
but you've been ruthlessly beat up emotionally or verbally. Bullies on the playground. Thugs on the street. A boss that calls you out in front of your colleagues. Taunting. Names. The thing about getting beat up is it's humiliating. It's meant to break every part of our soul. Getting assaulted often leaves us with a broken body or a broken heart. And always, always with a wounded soul. And we can picture Paul, like, lying under the the power of a demonic enemy. And the messenger of Satan is just, wham, wham, take that and take that and take that. You're nothing. It was a thorn in the flesh. It was humiliating. Why would God allow such a thing for someone that he loved and trusted so much? Paul says, to keep me from getting conceited. He got what he didn't want. And Paul said the purpose was like to keep me from getting conceited. The Satan angel came to humiliate Paul, but God allowed it to humble Paul. God was purging Paul of conceit. And the heavenly revelations, combined with Paul's natural brilliance and training, had him on track for a conceited life and a conceited ministry and a theology of glory without any theology of the cross. A life devoid of the power of Jesus. God had something better. Johnny Erickson uh, Tata, who was paralyzed in a diving accident as a young woman, writes this. The truth of the matter is this, Satan and God may want the exact same thing to take place, but for different reasons. Satan's motive in Jesus' crucifixion was rebellion, she writes. God's motive was love and mercy. Satan was a secondary cause behind the crucifixion, but it was God who ultimately wanted it, willed it, and allowed Satan to carry it out. Sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Here's what I'm not saying, and here's what Johnny Erickson Tata is not saying. Not saying that just injustice and violence are good things. They are not good things, and they are not from God. We should pray for them to end, and when they end, we should celebrate. We can pray for good things like healing and open doors, and for all the bad things in the world to come to an end, and in Jesus they will. In fact, Paul did too. Paul prayed fervently for God to remove this situation. He says, verse 8, three times I pleaded. It's like a sign of completion, three times. He goes through the cycle. It's like Jesus praying, thy will be done, over and over again. Three times I'm pleading God to remove it, um, that it should leave me. Like, Lord, this cannot be my reality. There's nothing good about this. It's not making me stronger. It's making me weaker, in fact. And what Paul heard in response to his three cycles of prayer was one of the most powerful statements of reality in all of the universe. And it stayed with him, and it became like the, one of the foundational verses, one of the foundational statements of Jesus that he carried with him all the way to the end of his life. And if we can receive it as hard as it is, 
it will change everything about our life and everything about our suffering. We can meditate on what Paul's about to say for the rest of our lives, and we will never plumb the depths of it until we see Christ face to face in glory. And here's what he heard from Jesus after wrestling in prayer. Verse 9, But he said to me, the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, Paul says, reflecting on this, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I don't know if you've ever been encouraged by a preposition. Have a, has a preposition ever encouraged you in your life? Someone said that life is lived in the prepositions. I have to say here that the key to suffering becoming a sacramental way of binding us to Jesus, man, is it in the prepositions. Jesus says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Jesus' grace is for Paul's advantage and for Paul's upbuilding as he suffers. Jesus says to Paul, my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul has a thorn in the flesh. It's burrowed deep in there like a splinter that won't come out inside his broken body. Yet Christ's power, his resurrection light is nestled right around, right in the weakness right there inside the splinter, shining through it. One, one writer uses the image of a paper lantern. You know, the, the thorn in the flesh made Paul so weak. He was like paper thin weak. But what happened was the power of Christ in him, the luminescence of the glory of Christ, was able to shine through that weakness. And he was like a paper lantern showing the world the glory of Christ. Paul was a man in Christ, not just in the glory of heaven, but also in the thorns of earth. And Paul says this in response, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. There's another preposition for you. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Like body armor. It reminds me of the St. Patrick breastplate prayer. Have you ever heard this? I bind unto myself today the strong name of the Trinity. And this breastplate prayer uses all of the preposition, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Be encouraged this morning, my brothers and sisters, by the prepositions, because that's where Christ's power is. It's all around and all in your suffering, every atom of it, every minute of it. One lifelong sufferer says this, he has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. The more intense the pain, the closer his embrace. Jesus, why did he suffer? Jesus was beaten and humiliated so that he could join himself to us and turn our beatings into healings. He was rejected to turn our rejection into the deepest friendship imaginable. Friendship with him and friendship with his fellow sufferers. Jesus died to make death the very gate of life. You don't have to be afraid of death in Jesus. 
He's already gone through death, and he's made death the very gate of life. As one person said on their deathbed, don't pray for resuscitation and healing. I will not be denied my promotion to glory. His grace is sufficient for us. His power is perfected in us. And his power rests upon us like body armor. Now, suffering in and of itself does not sanctify us. And you know this. Suffering is like a fork in the road. It forces a decision. Where will we turn to for power? Will we despair on the one hand and curse the darkness and curve in on ourselves in our disordered desires? Or will we press only further into the heart of Christ? And so many of us this past year have been pressed to that fork in the road where we're like, I don't want to be here. Can we be like before in the before times when there was no fork? Here we're at the fork and there's no turning back. We are in Christ, my brothers and sisters. We are in Christ. And because of that, our suffering has all the prepositional power that was available to Paul. Our suffering can be sacramental. It can become, it can become a tangible sign of God's invisible grace. Not because it's suffering, but because of how Christ relates to the suffering. Human weakness become a visible sign of God's invisible power. It's a mysterious gift. It's a gift wrapped in some of the ugliest wrapping paper you've ever seen. But if you're willing to receive the gift and unwrap the wrapping paper, it's the power of Christ that you've never participated in before. Now, this is why the church has always taken the life of Christ to places of human suffering. Their church is like, no, this is what we do. This is what Christ did. This is what we do. She takes anointing oil into hospital rooms where broken bodies await a long recovery. And the people of God who bring that anointing oil with them anoint the wounds with the sign of the cross and pray this. May God the Father bless you. God the Son heal you. God the Holy Spirit give you strength. Or Lord Jesus Christ, heal this servant. Sustain her with your presence. Drive away all sickness of body, mind, and spirit, and give to her that victory of life and peace, which will enable her to serve you both now and evermore. Amen. The church takes the gifts of God, the, the bread and the wine and the word of God into prisons and invites someone awaiting a long sentence or a long trial to receive the body and blood of Christ and to take heart in his forgiveness and promise of new life. The church takes the power of Jesus to places of human suffering. Now, before the pandemic, you know what we prayed for? We prayed for revival. Did we ever pray? We fasted for it. We begged God for it. And I'm glad we did. We should keep praying for that. Now, I don't believe the Lord sent the COVID-19 pandemic. Yet I believe that the Lord is using the COVID-19 pandemic and sanctifying the suffering and the loss to invite us deeper into his grace and power. He has gifts for us in this, depths for us in this, perseverance for us in this, virtues for us in this, with us and upon us and in us and before us and behind us and above us. He is given us everything. 
When we are weak and in pain and lonely, Christ's power makes itself known visibly and tangibly and mysteriously through what we got but we didn't want. For the sake of Christ, then, Paul says in verse 10, for the sake of Christ, I am content. I'll take it. I'll take the gift. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. After all of his wrestling in prayer and all of his seasons of trial, Paul is content. He's not hopeless. He's not resigned. He's actually rested and confident. And he's, he's like, it's like the spiritual formation that he didn't choose, in the words of one pastor. He didn't choose the spiritual formation, but he got it nonetheless, and he's accepted it. And he said, as Jesus prayed in Garden of Gethsemane, thy will be done. I'm content. I'll take it. How would you fill in the blank? For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with fill in the blank. Martin Luther King called it unearned suffering. Elizabeth Elliot called it blessed inconveniences. You know, for us, it's usually less dramatic than Paul, less dramatic than Jesus, certainly less dramatic than the Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame. Usually it's less dramatic. Headaches, potholes, exhaustion, bodily pains, financial stress, heartbreaks, conversations that don't go well, humbling ourselves and apologizing. We pray for these things to end, and that's good. And even as we pray, we ask for that contentedness, that I have accepted this for the sake of Christ that can rest, that these sufferings are preparing us for glory. We're doing two things at once. As Bishop Stewart said, we're doing two things at once. On the one hand, we are praying for suffering to end. And on the other hand, when the Lord has said, this is my gift to you, I'm going to meet you in this. I'm going to make you like a paper lantern too. We say thy will be done. And I'm not going to shrink back from this. Samuel Rutherford was a man um, who, 400 years ago, he was fired from his job for what he believed and taught that crossed with the powers of the political powers of the day, didn't like what he was preaching, didn't like what he was living. He was more than once dragged into court and tried for unjust, trumped-up charges of treason, and it wasn't true. Yet here's what Samuel Rutherford could write and pray after years of this. If your Lord calls you to suffering, do not be dismayed, for he will provide a deeper portion of Christ in your suffering. Crosses cut away the pieces of our corruption. So Lord, do anything, he prayed, to perfect your image in us and make us fit for glory. Oh, what I owe to the file, hammer, and furnace. If we could smell of heaven and the country above, our crosses would not bite us. And he ends by saying this, lay all your loads by faith on Christ. Lay all your loads by faith on Christ. Ease yourself and let him bear all. He can and does, and he will bear you. He will bear you. Whether God comes with a rod or a crown, He comes with himself. 
have courage. I am your salvation. Welcome. Welcome, Jesus. And today after the service, I want to give everyone who's in person here an opportunity to lay all your loads by faith on Christ. And for those of you at home, I encourage you to find something made of wood, maybe a coffee table, some other uh, thing made of wood that you can lay your, lay your burden on Christ, bring your suffering to him. This is what Christians have called offering it up. Offering it up. Phrase we use in Lent, offering it up. That even as like symbolically when we're giving financially, it's like, yeah, but like the spiritual heart of that is that we're giving to the Lord not just our, our strength, but our weaknesses. We're giving him both what we have and what we don't have. And we're saying, this is yours. This suffering is yours. This unasked for thorn in the flesh is yours. This humiliation is yours. This injustice is yours. This jury duty is yours. This heartbreak is yours. I love you, Jesus, and I trust you. I bind unto myself today your name, your power, your grace, your, your cross, your resurrection. That's the only way that suffering can become sacramental. Other, otherwise, it's just going to either make us despair or make us proud. So after the service today, I encourage you to, just a few people at a time, just a moment at a time, touch the altar and, and offer up a prayer. Offer your suffering, what you don't have that you want or what you do have that you don't want, and give it to the Lord Jesus and ask for his Holy Spirit. I will anoint you with oil afterwards. If you're at home, I encourage you to find something that reminds you of the hardwood of the cross. Touch your hand to it. Offer up a prayer. And if there's a way we can pray for you, please reach out this week, and we will pray for you. Let me end with a collect for suffering from our Book of Common Prayer. I invite you to stand. And if you're ready to begin offering it up, you can even raise a hand or two hands. As I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, by your patience in suffering, you have hollowed earthly pain and gave us the example of obedience to your Father's will. Be near me in my time of weakness and pain. Sustain me by your grace that my strength and courage may not fail. Heal me according to your will and help me always to believe that what happens to me here is of little account if you hold me an eternal life, my Lord and my God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.